Okay, Jill Scott is Professor for Research at the Institute of Cultural Studies in Art, Media, uh, Design, ZHD. Hey, <laughs> University of the Arts, uh, as well as co-director of the Artisan Lab program Zurich. She has exhibited extensively and is currently creating interactive works based on neurobiology, which she calls neuromedia. So um, over to you, Jill. <laughs> Thank you. This is a strange little device. We expect it to sort of like spin around and you take off with it. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to talk about something that I've been doing for the last six years. It's called neuromedia, which is media based on neuroscience, really, on, on research quite deeply into neuroscience. And um, my, my main focus is tactile interfaces or tactile potentials of the skin itself, um, the visual perception, and then the cognitive, what we call cross-modal interaction, which is the relation between... Uh, the senses in the brain and how the plasticity of the brain manipulates and changes according to the different sensory perceptions that we have. So, um, I mean, I'm just going to use this because we can't get this up, unfortunately, running, but anyway. Um, my media history goes right back to 1975. Um, this is out of the bottle with hair dye. Um, and um, <laughs> so basically, you know, I really have a long history because, and I was very, very interested in touch-sensitive devices even then. And there's a couple of, in my history, a couple of pieces where I actually use the water in the human body to actually make reactive connections and interfaces with other bodies in a space or connect objects between people using the water in our bodies. And so um, these were uh, histories that led me to be very interested in clinical psychology. And I think a lot of people working in HCI or human-computer interfaces start to get interested in the psychology and in the sociology and in the methodologies that they use to assess their uh, instruments they build or their actual applications, especially for disability. So um, I actually started to get involved in um, looking much deeper into neuroscience because I was started to get um, interested in my my aims started to think uh, I started to think about how I was going to um, learn about neuroscience and how I could interpret some of that information for the t for the general public and sort of expand my audience beyond the art gallery audience and much more into also scientists as an audience as a new audience which I think is an interesting point. Also, um, the people who are disabled or who are impaired, visually impaired particularly, or tactile impaired, how would they in fact um, uh, deal with a subject or an object from an art interpretive state and not from an illustrational state? So this was very interesting for me. And I'm, I started to now more and more get interested in the brain, how it works, how we are experiencing our uh, direct perception um, through our five senses and how these five senses are working with our motor cortexes and our um, uh, triggering the associations in our brain. So one of the people who was a big influence for me was um, a guy here, I don't know if you can see it, it's called, his name's Paul Bakirevita. He's a neuroscientist from America. Um, he's unfortunately died by now, but I spent a lot of time talking to him, went to his lab actually in the States. He developed for years working with this idea of a brain port. So this is perfect for me because of my interest in tactile 
um, sensibilities and also visual sensibilities. He developed a brain port. The brain port actually is a microarray that you put on your tongue and the blind person wears a camera and the camera looks at the environment and actually analyzes the environment in relation to the light and dark. So it makes a luminance key out of that environment. And then it presses those objects on the actual microarray on the tongue. So here's Eric, one of his subjects. He's actually navigating through his tongue. In other words, it's bypassing the optic nerve. The tactile sensibility is moving him around in space based on the information and code he's reading through his tongue. So this for me would be very a real obvious example of what I call cross-modal interaction, that we can learn to substitute our other senses with, in fact, uh, another sense that would normally you wouldn't consider could be used. So um, I became interested in this in my research in tactile and also in visual perception. I went very deeply into, I got involved in an artificial intelligence lab and in that lab I became very involved in um, working with blind people. I worked with like 10 sets of blind people over a period of time and I asked them a lot about navigation, what they prefer, what kind of interfaces they're interested in using, and what the problems are with their sight. How do they see? Nobody's actually clinically completely blind. Everybody sees light at a certain level. So therefore, one cannot say blind, in fact. One can just say impaired, because different levels of impairment all the way through the visual system. So I was testing them to see about how they deal with their cognitive experience in navigation. We would put like grids like this on the floor. They would actually be asked to use their feet to feel through that and to sort of navigate over different spaces. And I became very interested in building a kind of theatre for them where they would be able to control their own media and move through a theatre space. And so we developed this project called eSkin, which was a project based on um, wearable computing on your arms then gesturally based with accelerometers in it, that they could actually pass gestures to each other. That's one of the things they all say is really sad. They miss the bodily gestural contact between people. And they could also use it to navigate in the space and to communicate with each other and build a kind of theater, a stage, a presentation of their own for the public. And so um, I built a project, a prototype for that, where we had an object was based on these modalities. They are temperature, pressure, vibration, and proprioception. And so you were able to actually use this object, which was about this big, to actually navigate on a screen. So we brought the blind people in, the, the, the impaired people, to see how they would actually work with this kind of a navigation. They all thought it was really interesting that they could, um, you know, we had a sort of um, an indication or, a th or we thought that maybe they couldn't adapt quite easily to learning something new but they had no problem at all to actually pick up these skills and to actually adapt to working in an environment. So I became very interested in how visuals could be displayed from their actions. So they could speak to a sighted audience by using visuals, um, but the visuals were controlled by tactility. So this became a very interesting loop, again, a cross-modal loop in the brain. So, I worked um, extensively um, on another project also called Dermaland, and in this project I looked at the actual structure of the skin, and then actually people could, paired people could actually follow and place their, um, their um, hands over this skin, and the skin 
was uh, modelled on a landscape, actually Kakadu National Park in the Northern Territory. And, um, but of course it's in large scale. And that skin, in fact, is um, uh, based on a SEM, the scanning electron microscope uh, enlargement of the skin, where you see all the dermal and epidermal layers till the capillaries, which you see, of course, on a table, you see it underneath in the river of the, of, the, of the object. So for me, it was very interesting to make a project. This is a project really about the effects of UVA on the skin and how, in fact, they affect the, the nerve endings, particularly, of the skin. And uh, these nerve endings, in fact, are then um, uh, projected back onto the surface and you can actually use a set of magnifying glasses to actually go across the surface and as you do you get the projections from science of those damaged nerve endings and of the problems within the actual skin in relation to the skin disease and the sun, the sun effect. So these are the kinds of works I'm doing. I'm very interested now in not only showing in the gallery context but showing in the science museum context and, showing, and trying to sort of blur this this border between didactic scientific presentation and, much, and make it much more interpretive, much more kind of experiential for the viewer. And um, I'm also interested in how scientists can become also an audience alongside the viewing art public, can become also an audience for these kinds of explorations. So um, the conclusions were e of eSkin after doing all that work was that I actually needed to know much more about visual impairment than I knew. So I put myself, these are all from residencies in labs, I put myself into a, a neuroscience lab at the University of Zurich in neurobiology and there I was looking at like how in fact um, we can, uh, what kinds of visual impairments we have uh, are developed, what, how is the actual research done and made. And what was interesting to me is this, I don't know if you can see this, but it's very interesting if you want to come up and have a look. It's a little theatre where, in fact, the, the, you know, there's all the phenotype for research on the human eye is the zebrafish. And the zebrafish eye is a dernal animal. It sleeps at night and it's a very similar co uh, uh, cone and rod pattern array in the actual eye itself. So actually what was very interesting is that the fish had to be measured with projections in a stage. So actually you put the little larva into a, into a small container, you project onto the edge of a stage and then the reactions the fish have are the evidence of its mutation or the evidence of its problem. So this for me was a very interesting idea. Um, and uh, I started to get involved in all kinds of experimental processes about how to measure problems in impairment. So, um, um, as you can see there, the fish, this is the zebrafish here, and you'll see the zebrafish in the project as well. Um, the zebrafish is um, basically the aims of the researchers is to kind of get a deeper understanding into human eye disease through using the zebrafish, um, and also to basically um, use take wild types and actually sort of see the comparison between a mutant problem, say in the disease like glaucoma, you would actually sort of cause the, the fish to have glaucoma, then you would actually measure that um, 
reactions and the, the progression of the disease against a wild type, which is one that's already quite normal, considered to be normal. So this is the way they work constantly in between the two. And this is the fish's actual retina, and this is the retina, in fact, at the back of the fish eye, the histology, and this is the iris, or the eye ball, as we say, in the front of the fish. And here you see I'm working with, it was very interesting to work alongside and shadow the scientists in all of their experiments. And I became very interested in what, I went back to my group of blind people and I said, well, what do you see? And then I thought, well, this would be interesting. What I'll do is I'll take their stories and I'll film actually underwater from the fish's perspective what they might see if they are in fact uh, impaired in different ways. And so this is the way I came at coming at an interpretive rather than a didactic kind of work. And then um, I was very interested in the sort of evidence that they were producing, but they hadn't animated, so I, I spent a long time taking their material and animating the process of it so that actually they could, you could see, um, they could see a morphology, if you like, between different levels of their own evidence, something they don't do. They don't animate the material together like this. So it was very interesting for them too. And then um, I wanted to sort of try and demystify the complexity of visual perception somehow. So I think that that's another problem, you know, how, um, you know, it's extremely complex. On an evolutionary scale, we actually have the eyes of a fish. We're completely connected to the evolution of a fish with our, and our eye structure is very genetically similar. Whereas the only other eye that's evolved is a compound eye, which crickets and uh, bees and a number of other animals have. So this to me is quite interesting that there's only two types of evolutionary development of the eye. And what's problematic with our eye is that the retina is in fact at the back of the eye rather than in a compound eye at the front. And this means that the light has to be received and then transferred back through what's called a, a blind spot back into the optic nerve and back into the brain. And I mean, all of this I thought was very interesting information as a visual artist to actually have. So um, then I thought that the, the, the clinical people could also maybe use this research or kind of connect to this research. So I'll just show you one more, few more, and then we'll go over and have a look. So this is a this object that you see here, the back here, is actually, um, uh, the, the front of it is based on the pattern array of the human eye. Um, the pattern array of the human eye is like um, cones and rods, and that's the configuration at this point here, which is in fact here, it's actually right on the temporal edge of the peripheral side of the, of the optic nerve. So this has been and I did a whole lot of tests under the scanning electron microscope, and then I took some of that information, built the eye into three perspective, into actual third dimension, and built those rods and cones. And then you actually would see the pattern array of the, of the human eye. And then, of course, these um, oculars are sunk into the cones. So you have the possibility of looking through the oculus, into what I thought was the, eye, the animated evidence from the research, and then projected out of the front, you would see, in fact, the view of what it is to have that impairment from the perspective of blind people. So here you see um, another 
some of the possibilities you see between one eye, I'll show you on the actual image, on, on the actual sculpture, but you see that there's, um, there's a relation between what's in the oculus and what's projected from behind the sculpture. So this has been shown a number of times, and I've been shown it a lot in science. Actually, it's been shown in the Brain Fair and in Zurich and also in the Life Science Zurich. And, um, and I mean, this is the first gallery showing for it, but I think that's interesting. I like this idea of jumping between these two spaces. Um, very different reactions, very different kind of feedback. And um, the scientists are starting to become an audience. They will, you know, one of them came yesterday and had a look. So it starts to bring the scientists into the gallery, I hope, as well, and vice versa. So um, I'm interested in, uh, in this project. I've got four or five, um, about four or five, um, sorry. This is the sort of setup inside. So I'll leave that on for a while so you can actually have a look rather than take it off and show you how it works inside you can see how the structure is of the whole thing um, and I'll leave that on so I show you but what first what what is done for me I'll just wind up here but what is actually done for me which I think is really interesting it's it's become the neuromedia that I tend to work on is tending to become a kind of catalyst between the researcher and the clinical kind of uh, side of the of the of the of the audience, and this to me is quite interesting. And um, it's also I'm interested in trying to generate more aesthetic representations and uh, and illustrations, but I'm much more interpret into this interpretation. I think an artist has an ability to come in and make a very particular kind of interpretation on science, and this is where we have I think a a different goal. So. Um, here you have the oculus. These are the actual research from the background of the, of, the, of the research going on in science. And in the front, you have the projection. But this is an attract loop. If you want to change it, you come around here and you change the iris, actually. So if I want to change the iris, I can just turn the iris, just turn the lens or the iris here. Now you can hear the accelerator. Yeah. So now we're going to change to uh, two. You can change it here around and around. You can play with that yourself. Um, just to give you an idea, so for example, this is glaucoma. Uh, you have a peripheral vision loss, and inside you have a, 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 a focus. If you go in the front, you'll see the research behind that disease. So basically, it goes like that constantly. You have problem of how you see and here you have the research behind that problem. So basically it's like this. Okay. <laughs> you said the scientists' responses were quite exciting for you. I was wondering if you could give an example that springs to mind. Yeah, I think that they, um, you know, when, when we showed it at the Brain Fair, there was a lot of science, science works there and those works are very particularly similar. They've always got tables, you look through a microscope, maybe there's a kind of PowerPoint presentation, there's maybe something unusual but very rarely. So this was a, a big attraction simply because it was just so unusual for them to, uh, to deal with. They just uh, thought, well, we never saw our work interpreted that way before. 
And I think this is already new knowledge for them.